0: Welcome to the DEVCOM Games Industry Podcast with your host Lars Janssen. Welcome to this episode of our DEVCOM Podcast Series, bringing you the DEVCOM experience year-round. Today, I would like to welcome Uri Marchant. Mart- 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 Sorry, now I still got to start again because I butchered your name. Uh, <laughs> <good>. My apologies. <laughs> I asked, and then I still did it. Uri Marchant. It's it's kind of. A, I, I got to ask you: Is it uh, technically a French name? Um, it is uh, a French name. Yeah, yeah because um, I Machan. yeah I would have pronounced it "marchal," and that, that's why I was yeah. like uh, uh, every time I read it, I'm, I'm confused. Your your parents from France or?
1: Uh, it's um, uh, so grandparents from like on the father's side from Germany. Okay. and their parents were from France, so. Ah, that's,
0: that's where it comes from,
1: all right. Great parents, great, great. So
0: I promise uh, this time I'm not gonna butcher it, Uri Marchant, <laughs> okay. Yep. Welcome to this episode of our Defcom podcast series, bringing you the defcom experience year-round. Today, I would like to welcome Uri Marchant, CEO and co-founder at Overwolf, a platform for in-game app developers. Happy to have you here, Uri, and let's talk about your journey into the industry.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Lars, happy to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for, for taking the time to uh, talk to me today, and uh, I think you got mm-hmm. a lot of interesting things to share with our listeners. But uh, like I already said in the intro, why don't we start with a little bit about your journey uh, to the point where you're at right now. How did everything get started? How did you get in touch with games? Maybe you can talk a bit about uh, your history so sure. far.
1: No, sounds good. I, I've been a gamer pretty much um, all my life. Started with uh, the PC probably when I was around about six or seven. And then played throughout my childhood. I think my favorite games back then were uh, Dune Two, uh, which evolved to a bunch of other RTSs, and then Starcraft. And uh, at that point, I had to take a quick break from gaming as I joined the army. Uh, so I'm based in Israel. Everybody here goes to the army. Specifically, myself, I went to the Air Force and I flew CH-53s. So uh, search and rescue helicopter pi- uh, pilot. That was my job cool. then. Uh, a bit of a. Uh, close proximity to gaming in so many ways, uh, being a pilot. You sit on a chair, you have a bunch of inputs and a bunch of uh, <laughs> ways to do things, uh, and you have to make quick decisions, um, and hopefully good ones. Um, so after that, I studied computer science, and um, when I had to figure out you know, what I'm gonna do when I grow up, I decided that I wanna start uh, my own company to build services that I was missing as a gamer myself. Uh, so graduated from computer science started overwolf at the beginning we were a group of people with a one hundred thousand dollar check which felt to us like a huge amount of money and we wanted to build this uh swiss army knife type companion that's going to add features we were missing in the games that we were playing our first feature was uh, skype integration it was before the discord days and uh, we were using skype a lot so we figured hey why do i need to tab out Let's just bring Skype into the game and create a good integration out of Skype. Where did you get the original
0: $100,000 check from?
1: Um, it's an investor. He's like the Israeli Ron Conway. He's, uh, his name is Yossif Vardy. And um, I got in touch with him through some connections from the university where I studied. And uh, I remember we came over to him in a late night, probably like 9.30 PM, 10 PM for a quick, like 30 minutes meeting. Um, I think he asked us what we're going to do, but he's done his background check prior. So he was kind of in the loop with regards to who we are, what our plans are, what our focus is, what our market is and all that. So then he spent, um, after a quick introduction, probably 15 minutes telling us that Uh, he's not going to help us. And, you know, it is what it is. And uh, if we make it great, and if not, we can't waste his time. Something like that It was kind of an interesting conversation. Um, But it ended up in us raising that money and starting the road. So that was ages ago. And this is kind of how everything started for us.
0: Cool. I mean, not everybody is uh, is in the lucky position to find someone who gives them like a hundred thousand dollars and it might not be like, you know, given what you're doing right now, it might not be a lot of money, but I guess back in the day when you started building this, uh, this definitely helped, I think, to get this off the ground. Oh, it was
1: extremely significant. I think without that uh, investment, it would have been very, very hard for us to start doing this. And again, it felt to us like uh, it's an amazing opportunity and it's a huge amount of money to build a uh, high quality product that you know we felt has good potential
0: so what was like um, back in the day you said you started with skype what was kind of the mission what did you what did you want to create you, you said like you brought this to games and uh, it seems like it was um, pretty much the foundation of what you do these days so maybe you can talk a bit about like how you came from uh, what you did in the early days uh, then to you know what your vision is these days in terms of you know apps for games and and integrations and everything
1: so, the mission was really we looked at games um, and felt certain pains as gamers. And our mission was to cure these pains. So, if we were missing Skype, great, let's bring Skype into the game. Uh, if we're tabbing out to use a browser, let's bring a browser as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the video capture solutions that we were using back then were broken. So, we felt like, hey, we should do that better. You remember Fraps, probably? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. FPS? Yeah. We can do it better. Uh, so, you know, We had this crazy assumption that um, we can solve all these use cases inside the company at high quality and create this product, this consistent gaming companion that every gamer is going to want to use because it answers so many uh, gaps that exist in the market that game developers never get to. So this was us at the beginning
0: and like your your target group for that was uh those were gamers or were you trying to market this to you know game developers uh to to people that didn't really have the time or resources to do themselves but uh worked with you guys to you know make this happen
1: our target was gamers we always thought about us as a consumer brand and this is sort of how we built the company we did have partnerships with uh game developers so like we would go to a game developer and say, Hey, would you like to have all those features inside your game? And if they said yes, then we said, All right, the way to work with us is to do this integration with the installer. So when someone installs your game, you say, Hey, do you want to also get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight features?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if they say yes, then they get uh, Overwolf with it. Um, that led us, by the way, uh, it was not a smart decision because. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I mean, we made so many mistakes. I think, uh, first, this vision of answering all these pains in a single team without a lot of funding is a little bit unrealistic because if you have scope, you don't have quality. And the only thing that matters in gaming is quality. And uh, everything that you create has to be at least in the level of the game that's being played, if not better. And so. However, when you do like, you know, agreements with uh, executives, they don't always have that feel for quality. So you might end up doing a deal that's going to contribute massively to distribution for an unbaked product, which is in a lot of ways what happened to us. <laughs> so this is uh, fundamentally, in retrospective, a really bad business decision to do a distribution partnership for a product that's not ready.
0: So how did you make money in the first place anyways? I mean, if you we said, didn't. like okay, that's, uh, that's that. Okay, that was point. an easy answer. Yep. Okay, <laughs> so, so I guess at some point you realized, you know, we gotta make money with this. Uh, we gotta t- take it to, to a different place. Um, so what happened after that? I mean, uh, when we talked a while ago, you mentioned that at some point you decided you needed to pivot from that and, and do things a little differently. Uh, and, uh, and then obviously, if you look at Overwolf today that you're running, you created a, a tech framework uh, for creators. Uh, so maybe we can talk a bit about what it actually is that, uh, that you have built and um, mm-hmm. you know, how uh, you came from that original idea to, uh, to this later on and why you think this is uh, really something that uh, is, is now the foundation of Overwolf going forward.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I think in the first uh, three and a half years, we acted like uh, crazy creators ourselves. Uh, creators because we've built everything in house, and crazy because we constantly pivoted between ideas. And we've done sophisticated and complicated projects, like a touch controller for Windows tablets in a partnership with Microsoft and Intel. Um, we've done all sorts of trials, projects with game developers. We had a cool thing that we've built. In the context of a potential deal with Blizzard, there were like a bunch of things that we've jumped between and never really polished to the quality that a consumer product needs to get to. So, you know, we ended up uh, also raising a little bit more money because the distribution deals and because of where we were, and investors felt like, okay, like we've proven something. So we have some traction. So we ended up raising in the seed stage to uh, $940,000. But that eventually took us nowhere. And we came to the summer of 2013 with no significant traction on the user side, with a bunch of uh, partly functioning prototypes, and with a technology that had potential but didn't really prove anything. And of course, no money, right? No monetization. That's a perfect no starting bank.
0: point for anything. Perfect starting point for Pivot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had to, to ask ourselves some hard questions. Like one, you know, uh, where's the market going? Like where's gaming going? Is it growing? Is it not growing? Like, is it are we suffering because of the market? And the answer was that, you know, definitely not. Gaming is definitely growing. And then the second question is: was our idea really, really bad? And uh based on what we've learned in the past three and a half years, I don't think the idea was bad. I think the execution was really bad. And the strategy was wrong. Because as a a company, you can't really do everything yourself. You have to figure out what you're good at and focus on that narrow thing and deliver quality before scope. And only if you do all those things, then maybe you have a shot at succeeding. But if you're trying to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 things and do everything at high quality, you're likely not going to succeed. And this was the thesis for our A round. So we basically found this uh, venture capital and we told them, look, here's what we've learned. This is what we were able to build here's a bunch of technology that we built, here are a bunch of prototypes, but we actually think that we should focus on building a framework. So like if Unity is a framework for building games, but they're not necessarily building the games themselves, we should do the same for game services, apps, and mods. So that was the thesis for the A round, and this is what got us to start in the journey of uh, focusing on building a framework versus building everything in-house.
0: So when you look at where you're at right now, I mean, obviously, that's, uh, you know, that you've outlined the vision of, uh, you know, what you wanted to be at that point and how you get the funding for that. So where are you at on on that journey with Overwolf right now? Uh, What is it at this point and where do you want to take it?
1: So I think right now um, we have a, a really nice community of creators that came over to Overwolf and have built products. Um, anywhere from an app that might help me with stats to capturing my highlights, to a World of Warcraft add-on following the CurseForge acquisition, mm. something like uh, eight months ago. We have creators uh, that really make a living building a roll of apps, and startups that rely on our technology to build their venture. So anywhere from you know indie developers to companies of more than 100 people who are venture backed. To even big corporates like Intel or Logitech, who are building products on the Overwolf framework, creators who make a living on Overwolf make anywhere between you know a couple hundred dollars per month to over a hundred thousand uh, dollars. So it's a it's kind of similar to YouTube or Twitch in the sense that if you're good at what you do and you produce good high quality content, there's a way for you to make a living doing it.
0: Are you mostly focused on uh, some particular games on the platform or is that like a widespread of different titles that uh, you have creators um, for Uh, maybe you can give some insights into uh, how that works
1: so we're game agnostic in how we operate but for pragmatic reasons we focus on the more popular games because if you're a creator you might create something out of passion for a game that has a relatively small community, but it's going to be hard for you to make a living doing it. So we feel like where we are in the evolution of our platform is we need to put a little bit more emphasis on the more popular games, but this does not prevent us from providing and enabling the tools for the less popular games. So to answer your question, we are strategically game agnostic, but programmatically sometimes we need to spend more resources on more popular games.
0: So do you see creators on uh, your platform that uh, create mods or, or add-ons or apps for uh, all different kind of games? Or is it always focused on one particular game that they care about a lot um, and, and it's that game only, and there's another group of uh, creators for, for different games?
1: So it's with time it's more and more diversified. So when we started in 2015 with the first app, it was just League of Legends. Uh, there was an app called Lolwiz, and I think that was the app that launched first. And then there was uh, Hearthstone a Companion, so we kind of expanded into Hearthstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've expanded further and further and further, and just last week we had a couple new mods submitted for Among Us, uh, for example. So I think with time we're gonna see more and more games that we enable and support, but fundamentally, our strategy is to serve you know all games.
0: And I you. Okay, so my question was somehow also related to the creator side of things. So mm-hmm. if somebody creates a, a mod for, let's say, League of Legends, uh, do you experience uh, from your data that these guys are not only doing mods for League of Legends, but also for other games, or is it others very isolated communities mm-hmm. of creators?
1: Um. So we. Let me try and think about this. So I I guess it really depends on the type of creator because a lot of creators just create content from passion and sort of by accident, they transition to making a living from it. Mm -hmm. It's like a happy accident. But then because they came from passion, they're gonna stick with their game. They're not gonna switch to another game. But creators who are more thinking about this as a business for themselves, so we have seen them evolve into other games. So let's say they had a successful app for Teamfight Tactics, And now Valorant launches, so they may kind of, you know, they may think, hey, this is actually a good opportunity to expand my reach, and I kind of like the game, I like the game developer, why don't I build an app for Valorant? It's hard for me to put, like, in percentages how many people create for just one game versus how many Mm. create for multiple games. Um, It kind of feels to me like, you know, 75-25, 75-1 game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to get a feel for for this because I can imagine that a creator that sees, you know, if I develop something using the uh, Overwolf framework uh, and it works for one game and I see I have a, a talent in that space or I can provide something mm-hmm. to the community that's useful, you know, I might as well try to do something similar for other games, especially if uh, if, if they monetize through it, um, which kind yep. of brings me to uh, the kind of an important question, I guess, in that context mm-hmm. is how do creators make money with, um, with your platform and with the apps? And and mods they develop.
1: Sure. And, you know, I totally relate to your question. I think uh, we are starting to see more and more people understanding that, hey, I have a potential in creating stuff. Why don't I expand that and create for a new game? It might be similar to like a Twitch streamer that might have started with PUBG, but uh, maybe they now want to play another game. Um, Okay. So, how do creators make money? It depends whether you're building an app or a mod. If you're building an app, it's like building a website. You have your own sort of entity that is a window that's external to the game. It might be like an overlay on top of the game, but it's still like its own entity. So in this entity, you might have in-app ads or subscriptions. Mm -hmm. So we provide that as a service for creators. Uh, There's a revenue share. So 70% for the creator and 30% for us for providing the engine and the service and uh, you know this is how app developers can make money. If they have other business models, for example, let's say they want to do skill-based cash competitions, then we usually do like an ad hoc business model for their idea.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, are there apps that are monetized directly, so uh, creators that uh, can sell their apps for a certain mm-hmm. price?
1: Yeah, like uh, there's a company uh, called uh, G that developed their cash tournament platform on Overwolf, Mm -hmm. and they're doing all the billing and all those things on their end. We're not involved on that front. Uh, But we do, in the back end, have some sort of a business relationship between the companies so that there is some sort of an upside under certain conditions for us as well for providing them the value that we do provide.
0: So if you look at the community of creators that uh, work with your framework, would you say that most of them could be categorized as dedicated and passionate community members uh, doing this, like in their in their free time, a little bit as a hobby, or do you see um, more and more professional approaches there? People that uh, really try to make a living um, doing only this.
1: I think what the trend that we're seeing is that there are more and more professionals trying to make a living doing only this, or building companies, and uh, you know supporting their teams through building only this.
0: So when you when you look at um, you know the community involvement in general uh, through something like this, I mean obviously a lot of the creators on your platform are dedicated uh, gamers. They, like I said before, they fell in love with their game and they wanted to do something unique um, to add value and um, provide it to other members of the community. How important do you think uh, is something like this, like uh, you know in-game app development, creating mods for building a community around a new title? Are you like, for example, as a kind of a follow-up to that, are you? working with game developers early on, trying to you know figure out how this can help their community building strategy, for example, if a new title like Valorant a while ago for Riot launched and, or similar cases.
1: So this is, starting the, this is something that we're starting to do now more and more. Uh, so to meet games in development stage, try and understand what the UGC strategy that fits their games, and then helping them implement that. Um, I think every game and every game developer or publisher has what's a fit for them from a UGC standpoint. You know, for example, if I look at League of Legends, it's a little bit hard to think about modding a game like League of Legends that's uh, competitive. You know, there's Summoner's Rift and a couple of other game modes, and uh, it monetizes through cosmetics and customization. So, you know, we're not going to be able to allow modding on that front, which is very popular in other games. And because of the nature of the game, it might not serve the interests of the game developer to allow the users to build new maps for the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for a game like League of Legends, it's mostly uh, overlay apps that help me monitor my performance, provide me with recommendations on builds, with statistics on my teammates, with a quick ability to create highlights. So there's a whole realm of content that could be created using apps And in this case, mods are less applicable. However, if you're building an open-world, single-player, offline game, then providing the community tools for creativity could really increase your shelf life, build a stronger community around the game. And, you know, the obvious example is Skyrim and everything that happened around Skyrim and how Bethesda were very, and still are, very active in both providing the tools but also now the marketplace for these mods to be distributed. Um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. so good.
0: So, how do you see um, game developers interacting with you in that space? Are they mainly coming to you for like consultation and you know asking you like what do you think our user generated content strategy should be, uh, or do they come to you with like a very clear uh, you know requirements for, for their game? I guess probably a mix of, uh, of uh, you know everything along that mm-hmm. uh, that scale, right?
1: Yeah, so I can talk about what happens today and kind of where we want to go. I think what happens today is that game developers that talk with us, they already know what they want to do. They have a very clear strategy when it comes to user-generated content. They just want to use our tools and services so that it's uh, cheaper and faster for them to execute on. Mm -hmm. So think about a game, uh, again, uh, open world, highly moddable. If I'm the game game developer of that game and it's supposed to launch, say, in a year, I need to probably start thinking, or I should have probably started thinking about my UGC strategy when I start the development process. The elements are, apart from defining the policy, like what's legit and what's not legit, uh, what tools I provide for the community for creation and how do I make creation easy, um, apart from all these things, They would have to find a way to distribute the mods to their community, something like you know a Steam Workshop, where it's like a marketplace where users can go subscribe to mods and then download those mods. Right? You have to figure out that hosting file distribution thing, right? uh, Which we do for them. Um, And uh, apart from that, you also have to, in our opinion, you also have to figure out creator monetization, which I think is something that is not yet um, really active on workshop for uh, third-party games. Uh, There were some trials in the past that didn't really work out, but I think that's crucial to really create a symbiotic relationship between the creators, the studios, and the gamers. Because if creators are able to monetize, they would be continuously incentivized to create more and more content for the game, and this would benefit everybody. Do you feel
0: that there are game developers that are kind of reluctant to accept that fact that creators are able to monetize? Are there some that uh, tell you, hey, listen, we can use your framework and everything, but creators must never monetize anything they do?
1: Yeah, and that's fine from a perspective, uh, because we think that it's going to change over time. Mm-hmm. So if you're a game developer, you call the shots. You define the strategy, what's legit and what's not. You define the business model. Um, and we're happy to provide you the service, even if you're you you're not currently and won't ever allow users to charge money for their mods that's cool we have other ways to monetize that audience through ads and subscriptions and donations to mod authors there are things that are not you know purely selling the mod it's monetizing the service that actually drives the mod to your computer at high quality with updates and everything in between
0: so that's actually interesting you, uh, you bring that up because it's the end-user point of view, like the gamer that uses the platform to download the mods or d- download the apps. So um, you know how is that working on, on that end? I mean, are you charging like a subscription fee for the platform? Uh, how does it work? Maybe you can elaborate a little bit on that.
1: Um, so for game developers, um, there's no fee whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There's an SDK with plugins for the popular engine which you can embed with your game. And that SDK would eventually take care of cross-platform mod distribution, deployment, you know, file hosting, author, portal, everything needed on the marketplace front, so that uh, your mods would be accessible for gamers. We're not yet building creation kits or like the engine that allows you to create the mod itself, the files themselves. And this is a space we uh, hope to evolve into in the future it's very sort of game specific so sometimes technically it's a bit complicated to be able to provide a generic uh, creation kit for you know a bunch of games uh so it's game specific engine specific won't get too much into details but this is um what we're providing today does that make sense
0: yeah it does and the end users like that actually are on your platform downloading the mods they are uh, they don't require anything like any subscription to the platform they, they pretty much just download the mods or or pay for some of them or or uh, consume ads or whatever it is um that is used to monetize right or is there anything else in place
1: so if the game developer chose to build a marketplace which is kind of a complicated thing to do if you want to focus on building a high quality game they can distribute mods, and we would provide like the backend service, and they won't need to go to CurseForge or Overwolf to download anything. Uh-huh. However, if they want us to power the marketplace for them, because they feel it's redundant to build two marketplaces, or because of whatever reason they have, then users will discover their mods on uh, the CurseForge marketplace, download it from there, and this would provide us an opportunity to monetize either ads again or subscriptions uh-huh. for that audience.
0: So, is uh, I mean, after the acquisition of CurseForge, is CurseForge going to be your main hub for, uh, for the gamers, for the end users to get the apps or will you have like a broader different portfolio of, uh, of platforms?
1: So, at this stage, Overwolf is the hub for apps and CurseForge is the hub for mods and I think this is how it's going to be in the foreseeable future. There are obvious advantages to combining the two somehow at some point, but we're not sure exactly if, how and when.
0: So, if you look at those platforms of over, or you know the, the the modules overwolf and and curseforge and mods and apps in general, so how does it compare in terms of like relevance to your uh, to your business model? Uh, like focus also for for you at overwolf um, is is one more important than the other, or is it always going to be a combo of both?
1: It's two sort of uh, separate and symbiotic business units, and this is also how it's sort of. Built inside the company, so like on the product side, there's a team that's that focuses just on mods and CurseForge, and you know this is what they're pushing. On the R&D, it's a bit of a mix right now, but eventually we imagine a future in which these are two uh, separate departments that may collaborate. So, for example, we do have a FAPs apps that have an add-on <laughs> for World of Warcraft, for example. Uh So they create some sort of a mix between add-ons to mods, or there's an app on Overwolf called Feed the Beast, which is a mod pack marketplace for Minecraft. So again, a combination between an app and a mod, right? Uh, But we don't have a conflict. On the contrary, we think that the two departments really complement and complete each other.
0: So, if you just to make an example for people that are not too familiar with uh, with the economy around all of that yet, if 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 you go to CurseForge and you know I used to be and still am kind of an avid uh, WoW player and I you mm-hmm. know do download a lot of uh, interface add-ons uh, there, what would this be according to your definition? Is that a mod? Is that an app? And uh, where would you place this?
1: Sure. So if you go to the website, it's obviously just a website and a marketplace, and you can download the files from the website, manually install them on your computer, and you know that's it. That's one option. Another option is to download the CurseForge app. The CurseForge app is an app on Overwolf, so it's built on the Overwolf framework. Mm-hmm. right? It's like a game being built on Unity from which you can discover additional stuff. And on the CurseForge app, um, you know maybe I should clarify, for those of you who don't know, Overwolf is essentially like Electron which is a framework built on Chromium that allows easy and quick development of apps. So when we had to develop CurseForge in-house for the integration, we just built it on Overwolf. But if I open the CurseForge app on Overwolf, I have a bunch of mods I can download and do like update all, uh, do discovery, and whatever I would want as a mod user. So this is how it works right now.
0: OK, understand. So um when you look at uh, different levels of integration with developers um uh, obviously you have uh, I assume at least you have deeper integrations where you talk with game development partners about what you could do where you really align on the on the UGC strategy that they have and then you have some where they're just saying hey creators can use that framework but uh, you know we're not collaborating too much uh, with you guys so uh, are we am I right in assuming that you move more towards uh, you know having those conversations with to, with game developers to have integrations that's at least what I what I heard from you so far Uh, Mm -hmm. is is that the strategy to to do more in that regard and and encourage them to open up more to uh, UGC being a core element of their uh, game and their community building
1: Uh, yeah this is exactly what we do Uh, if I compare it to the app development front we provide app developers a lot more than just an engine we provide product consultation we do hackathons we have an acceleration team that would help them with UI design and product thinking. We have DevRel, like a developer relations department that helps with feedback. We provide them with analytics, and we intend to do the exact same thing for game developers. So let's say you're a game developer. Sure, if you don't wanna talk with us, you can just use our tools and you know that's fine. But if you want uh, some advice as to, for your specific genre, what are the mods that are going to contribute to consumer engagement around your game, and what are the ones that are easily buildable, like feasible, you know, pragmatically, versus um, Hail Marys and aspirations that we'll never get to. We'll, from our knowledge, provide you with guidelines as to what we think is going to help you succeed the best as a game developer, and then you can call the shots and say, hey, I agree with that or I don't agree with that, and this is how we want the strategy to look like, and we'll help you... Power it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes sense. So, what is your looking into the future? What's your what's your mission? Where do you want to take it from here? I mean, obviously, that's where you're at right now, and you already, you know, described a little bit, uh, you know, how the collaboration with the game developers looked like where do you see this going uh, are you going to disrupt the entire uh, ecosystem around this i mean if i uh, one of the reasons why i'm so interested in what you guys are doing there is because it um, pretty much provides an economy for creators that so far maybe had a hard time uh, not only monetizing mm-hmm. their content but bringing their content in front of a uh, you know of a large audience uh, and to me it's somewhat similar to you know what steam and the epic game store and uh, some of that did just for for the games and you were kind of adding to this uh from a more like an in-game point of view um is is that like a valid assumption on my side or what's what's your mission yeah.
1: No absolutely I mean we want to I don't want to use high words but we just want to make uh creation accessible for every human that wants to create and reduce barriers The way for us to do it is similar to how uh, Unity or other platforms for creating games are reducing barriers themselves, or you know services like Playfab make it easier to build and maintain a game. we make it easier to provide that community element that UGC element to your game um, you know think about it as UGC as a service what, all of the what yeah, level
0: uh, of um, technical Know how would somebody need typically in order to develop uh, a, a mod or an app uh, with your framework?
1: If it's an app, it's HTML uh, and JavaScript, so front-end developers. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a mod, it really depends on the game. It could be, you know, an artist. Uh, again, depending on the game, you might need to be a developer to be able to develop a mod. So it really varies. And I think this is something that we are going to work on with game developers themselves Um, because I think, you know, if you want to be really, really successful with UGC, you have to solve two problems. One is mod creation, and the second is discovery, distribution, and the economy around the creation. Uh, We're already very good on the second point, which is discovery, and monetization, all that stuff we think we can be better and more helpful for a game developer and the creation stuff through sharing information and eventually providing technology that's going to reduce barriers for uh, third-party creators to build stuff around games. But this is a more complicated thing to do because there are a bunch of game engines and you know a bunch of developers. Sometimes they might build it in-house. Sometimes it's something that the community builds. So this is where it gets uh, more tricky, right? Um, but at least we can uh, say that we're solving in a pretty good way the second side of the coin
0: well i guess the uh, that that's absolutely true and the first uh, part that you mentioned uh, is obviously going to grow over time i think your community mm-hmm. of creators is, is going to grow so to what extent is that going to be part of your business model that you approach game developers and say hey listen we have everything you need for uh for the ugc uh strategy and we also have the creators and the creator community that can actually make this happen is, mm-hmm. is that something you're going to do
1: Yeah, um, this is uh, exactly what we're going to do. Um, (laughs) um, We're focusing on uh, being the standard in the industry for UGC. And this means that we need to be really, really good in the broad aspect of uh, UGC. And, uh, you know, to be able to provide all the services and reduce all the barriers from the game developers perspective to make it um, something that works. I do want to say, like, we did not invent UGC, obviously. It started in 1983 or something. It's something that always was here, but um, not at the level that I think it should be and not with the accessibility that I think it should have. And it didn't, like, you know, count as a profession just like a YouTuber is. And we're just here to kind of fix that.
0: Yeah, user-generated content in general is a big challenge for many game developers out there because, I have I mean, I work on the game development side of things and uh, I don't know how often I heard, we want the community to create elements of our game. We want them to add to the experience. And then when you went to the next step, what does it actually mean? How can we make this happen? Then there were a lot of question marks in the room. It was like, how do we find those guys? Uh, how do we you know, identify uh, people and give them the platform to distribute this to other players? And so I think a lot of the, the things that uh, are typical challenges uh, in the online gaming world in particular, where you have a lot of those people that are interested in mods and apps, um, you might solve with, uh, with what you do right now. And I think a big element of that also is um, this... Um, you know community building within that community of creators I mean you mentioned uh, twitch streamers for example uh, or youtubers Uh, I think there's a lot of um, support networks for these guys there's uh, especially on twitch there's kind of a community management for this creator community so what are you doing in that regard Um, how do you kind of pamper your, uh, your, your mod creators and your app creators. Is that part of your strategy as well, that you want to do something aside from the technical support and uh, from providing the framework? Uh, is, is there something like, I don't know, OverwolfCon or something you want to build where you bring them all together? I'm, I'm just curious because that's what Twitch has pretty much uh, been doing and has been relatively successful with that.
1: Um, yeah, you're touching on a really important point. Um, I know that the listeners aren't going to be able to see what I'm uh, sort of doing, but I want to share my screen and show you a slide from a recent, um, like branding slash communication thinking that we've done. Um, and, and it really talks about the key pillars that we're focused on as a company and how we help creators. So- I'm I can my try my best to
0: uh, to kind of uh, <laughs> audio visualize what you show me so that the listeners can also benefit. Uh, Sounds that.
1: good. Uh, it looks like you need to provide me with a Zoom uh, access for screen share.
0: Yeah, technical difficulties. Uh, yep. <laughs> that's that's right. Usually we aren't planning on, uh, you know, in an audio podcast uh, have some share something. No, why, why not? Something. I think it's, it's, it's but, a great uh, feature hey, to share it helps. screen in audio uh, podcast. So <laughs> go ahead. You should be able to do it now.
1: Thank you. All right. Can you see my screen? Yes. Uh, so uh, for those of you who don't see it, uh, we're looking at a single slide with a bunch of, like, with a hierarchy around messaging and how we think about what we do. So the there's a tagline here, the Guild for In-Game Creators, and then it talks about the problem and our mission. Uh, the problem is uh the disorganization that currently exists in this space of in-game creators. Uh the fact that folks are scattered and doing it themselves and they lack the tools and the standardization to create those things. And our mission is to be the only one platform for in-game creators that provides everything they need to create, grow, and monetize in-game apps and mods. The platform pillars are around creation, that's one, growth, monetization, and then the fourth one is community, which is the one that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So we've seen it firsthand how important it is for creators to feel like they're not doing it by themselves. So they have someone to bounce ideas against or if they have an issue, they have someone to consult with. Uh, So we have the various channels over Discord or Slack where people reach out to us, either have conversations internally between themselves or uh, have us participate in these conversations and help them solve problems. Um, So I think it's a crucial element, Uh, whether we're gonna do a WolfCon or not, we probably will at some point, I don't know exactly (laughs) when, um, but we'll have to figure that out. But I think uh, the short answer is uh, yes, community aspect is really important. And uh, here's how we're thinking about things at large.
0: Well, if you th- thank you for sharing this. And uh, if you ever do a WolfCon, then uh, the CON podcast is where you heard it first, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so- <laughs> so you can put me in the credits there or something you know? yeah. <laughs> no, but I, the reason I brought it up uh, most of the is because I, I know that Twitch has uh, been um, you know kind of meticulously crafting their experience uh, around the community of uh, creators uh, on their platform and this has become like a very important element I think uh, mm-hmm. to them where they interact with the community uh, there and I think a lot of people in the uh, mod or app development space they spend a lot of time obviously like uh, hours and hours uh, uh, doing this and some of them might do it because they simply enjoy it and some others might you know at some point want to get uh something out of it uh and i mm-hmm. think uh, they all feel as part of uh, this community like i said i've been um personally when i when i played wow and used my uh my uh, mods there uh you know it's it was very obvious that some of these guys, you know, spend so much time and, and also interact with one another and something comes up and another one makes actually a modification for something that was already, you know, adding to the game. So, uh, I love the, the vibe in those, um, in those ecosystems in general. Uh, and I think that's really something for you also to tap into in order to, um, you know, have a long-term retention within that community from my point of view. Yep. So, um, so when you uh, it's kind of the, the last um, uh, topic I, I, I want to build is or I want to talk about is more like where do you see a little bit outside of your immediate uh, vicinity of your platform wh- where do you see the the trends go in the next uh, couple years in the industry obviously this you know allowing creators to um, you know to not only monetize but be more involved in game development is something that uh, is one of the the key areas that I see and I think uh, you know I wish you all the best with all Wolf to uh, to mm-hmm. push this even further and contribute. But do you see other maybe related areas in, in game development in the industry that are gonna be a little bit of game changers?
1: I think the, the first one that comes to mind is uh, this notion of services where a game right now, if you wanna build it, is a mix between your idea, your execution, and the services that you chose to embed with the game itself, to help you solve the hard pro- problems of uh, anywhere from creating assets all the way through live ops, and we're going to see probably more and more uh, companies, or the other way around, the existing companies building more and more services to make that process even easier for creators uh, to build games. So through reducing these barriers, obviously more and more people are going to create content some of them are going to build games from scratch and some are going to want to participate in the creation of games inside games which is more our side of the business so i think do you see that uh there
0: are game developers that are you know professional game developers working on titles that kind of in their free time you know uh, work with your framework to provide um something for other games or even their own game is it do you have a lot of professionals in your community do you know that from the data that you have
1: Uh, unfortunately i don't i i i know that sometimes it happens the other way around where a modder would really want to work at a certain company and then they would build a mod and it would be you know as they submit their cv the mod would be there and mm-hmm. uh this is what what's going to get them the job i definitely know that this direction happens and the other way around i'm not sure it definitely could happen Um uh, especially you know well gamers uh if we work in the industry, we probably play other games and if we have a great idea on creating something, we probably have the tool set and the abilities. So I you know, I definitely see it as something that could happen, but I'm not aware that it did.
0: It's interesting to say that the first studio I ever worked for in the games industry, um, the founder of the studio was actually somebody who developed a mod for yeah. at that point very popular game, and uh, you know they he wanted to, uh, to get hired by these guys and actually got an offer, but then got a better offer to create his own studio, which mm-hmm. is which is cool. So uh, I, I can definitely relate to that. That people that are uh, you know trying this as their hobby, that uh, this is their their foot in door into the industry. But I could also see quite a few people, especially if it's a framework that is, uh, is easy to use, that uh, you know do game development professionally that if they see there's ways to monetize their skills beyond like their, their daily job and uh mm-hmm. and, and working with their platform uh, i could see them doing this for for other games as well so it might be a little bit of a uh you know um a path that goes both ways you know in into the industry and then from within the industry back to uh creating something for the community
1: you know there is a team that had built an app in overwolf that is very successful they have, you know, very nice cash flow and they're very happy with their creation. Um, and they're a team of three and one of them always had the dream of, uh, building his own games and now through the cash flow that they're being, that they've generated through the app and continuously generate, they're basically looking into funding, uh, you know, the creation of their own games. So it's funny that they're not going to work for another company based on what I understand, but they're going to try and go that route themselves.
0: I think it's a great message for also a lot of our listeners that we have here because part of the DevCon community obviously are independent developers or people that are just mm-hmm. um, you know going to to college maybe studying something in the field of games and want to do something on the side they want to create the first thing so I do believe that you know entering the space of apps and mods could be a good starting point for them right I mean to uh, mm-hmm. to get a foot in the door and then have a kind of a portfolio a little bit of a track record because that's usually the number one question if you want to get into the industry like what have mm-hmm. you done before what have you worked on yep. and games are getting more and more complex so it's sometimes hard to say you know I've done these three four or five games already mm-hmm. alone on my own, um, yeah. but working on a model, working on an app is, is something they could probably use to highlight their skill set, right?
1: Yep, great.
0: <laughs> so I'm doing some marketing <laughs> for you here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, usually, usually, we don't do, do too many like marketing related yeah, topics, I'm but I about, as uh, you can. This was pro- live.
1: The chat would have been like sell out, sell out, sell
0: <laughs> the No, the, um, it probably, but uh, no, the reason I uh, I want to talk to you in detail about this is also because I, I feel that it's something that uh, has been uh, overlooked a little bit uh, in the past, like the, this entire, like I always say, this ecosystem of um, you know developers that are not necessarily working on the game directly but providing added, added value and additional services for it is something that I personally think is going to grow. And, you know, you seem to be in a position with uh, what you've built over Wolf to uh, be spearheading this, and uh, that's why mm-hmm. I feel it's it's very important also for our community. Like I said, that's listening into the uh, to the podcast and also, you know, the rest of the CON program to mm-hmm. see what's out there, and hopefully it encourages some to, uh, you know, to try uh, to work with that and to contribute to games out there uh, and provide added value to the community. So cool. I want to thank you very much, uh, Uri, for uh, you know being there, answering my questions. And I think you gave us a great overview of what Overwolf is right now. And uh, while it was very product-centric or platform-centric today, which we usually don't do so much, I do believe it is a very valuable insight for the people that we uh, have in our community um, to learn about this. Sometimes it's really about discovering something like this exists. And while many of them might be aware already that uh, this was out there, and uh, you maybe worked with them already, I do believe there's some potential for. Uh, authors to think a bit more about what their user-generated content strategy is going to be and uh, how they want to make sure that it helps them to build a community for their upcoming title or for the titles they already have out there uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know if you need someone to support you with that I think they can reach out to you and your team right now. exactly <laughs> all right good thank you again so much uh, no, it was a pleasure And uh, I hope we see uh, Overwolf going uh, more and more in that direction they were describing about right now so we can do another podcast uh, in a while uh, to see where you stand at that point.
1: Uh, Yeah, we can do a WolfCon 2022 and yeah, just kidding. Uh, We'll figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be at WolfCon
0: 2022. (laughs) Thank you so much. All
1: right. Take care. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast, presented by devcom.global, produced by Sven Vosing, executive producer Stefan Reichart. music by weloveindies.com, supported by Beyerdynamic, high-quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers, made in Germany.